We're going to be reading verses 12 through 29, but our sermon text is going to be focusing on verses 18 through 29. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he, saw, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom, and a tempest and the sound of the trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gatherings, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a consuming fire, and you have consumed us this morning. You have drawn us into your presence. So we ask that you would shine the light of your presence onto us. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may see wonderful things in this portion of your scriptures. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Like many of you, high school was a pretty important season in my life. You see, I was worried about grades, I was worried about football, and I was also worried about college. More specifically, where I might be able to play football in college. You see, these were the dreams of a little boy turned into a teenager. Where can I play college football? This was so important to me that I spent the majority of the summer before my senior year in the gym. 
neglecting the majority of my friendships, giving myself to lifting weights and running. And in the fall, I would wake up at 5.30 a.m. and I would run the stadium steps and I would run the track with a friend of mine from the football team. He was faster than I was. So he gave me a challenge and I wanted to, fi- I wanted to catch up to him and I never did. And I didn't have the money for a personal trainer, so in exchange for training at the local gym, I cleaned the local gym. So that summer, I spent almost all of my time in that place. I've been to a few recruiting trips that summer, been to some college football games and spent a few, uh, spent some time in a few football camps that year. And y'all, it seemed like the stars were aligning. It seemed that my dream might just come true. All was going well until one day it wasn't. The stars no longer aligned. One day a coach came to me and he looked at me and he said, John, I need to be honest with you, man. You're about three inches too short for the position that you want to play. You see, I was a guard. And guards in college are like 6'1", 6'2", plus, like 280 to 350. I couldn't touch that. I could get bigger and stronger. I could get faster, but I couldn't get taller. There's not a whole lot of tall genes in my family. I was crushed. In that moment, my world was turned upside down. My world was rocked. I had been working for this goal for years. And for a coach that I trusted to come and tell me, no significant offer has come in your way. I was crushed. And all of a sudden, my life's direction became uncertain. And I felt the insecurity of my life bearing down on me. What am I going to do now? And y'all, when our lives are rocked like that, we feel the, the weight of uncertainty. And the insecurity of life, it bears down on us. And y'all, we have a lot to be insecure about. We have a lot to be uncertain about, especially today. Our whole world is turned upside down. We're in the middle of a pandemic, and none of us knows how this sucker's gonna shake out. We're hope, many of us are hoping for a vaccine, but even when that shows up, We still have to figure out how to vaccinate 300 plus million people just in our country. We're not talking about the seven plus billion in the world. And and along with that, y'all, there's racial tensions all over our country. And if that wasn't enough, we're in the middle of a crazy election season where both sides are painting their opponents as the most abominable of human beings on the planet. What do we do? What are we to think? There's so much uncertain out there. And on top of all of that, the cherry on top is the uncertainties and insecurities of your regular life. In the midst of a pandemic and racial tension and an election, you have to deal with a fight with your spouse. You have to deal with meltdowns from your kids. You have to deal with family struggles, 
work frustrations, bosses that are stressed out, paying bills and managing your bank account. There is so much to be uncertain and insecure about in this world. And these early Christians in Hebrews were were no strangers to uncertainty. They were no strangers. They were being persecuted for their faith, and it felt to them like everything around them was unsteady. Everything was insecure. And their temptation was to go back to a form of Judaism, was to go back to Mount Sinai and leave Mount Zion. So what do you do? What do you do when you feel uncertain When you feel insecure, do you grasp for control? Do you criticize the people around you, focusing on all of their problems, taking all of the attention off of yourself? Do you get angry? Do you make everybody's life miserable around you, taking all of your anxious energy out on them? Do you indulge your desires and seek to comfort yourself and Whatever way feels familiar, what is that for you? There are constant pressures all around us, making life uncertain, making life insecure. So when you find yourself in that place of uncertainty, what encouragement does this passage offer to you? What encouragement does the author of Hebrews and Hebrews 12 give to you this morning? The first encouragement is that you belong to something unshakable. Look with me at verse 18. It says, for you, have come to, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken. What the preacher is describing are the events at Mount Sinai in Exodus 12 and Deuteronomy 4, where God comes down in a blazing fireball. Like, how terrifying would that be in general? But he rests on this mountain, and he speaks to Moses and to the people from the mountain. And it was at Mount Sinai that God gave his law and that he constituted his people Israel. He said to them, you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then the people moved on from there. And God made his dwelling place among his people in the tabernacle and ultimately in the temple. And the people settled in Canaan. And the author says, you haven't come to that. In Christ, we don't come to Mount Sinai. We we come to Mount Zion, the heavenly abode of God to the heavenly city of God. And this city, it says, is inhabited by innumerable angels in festal gatherings. This means, y'all, that the angels are ready to celebrate. The angels are there dressed to worship and to party because they're in the presence of God. And we come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, meaning that When we come together as a church, when we gather for worship, we're assembling with all Christians around the world. We're assembling with all Christians throughout centuries 
who have believed in Jesus and have their names enrolled in heaven. This isn't just something that we say before the creed to get you to, to, to incite some feelings. This is actually happening by faith. We're coming spiritually into the presence of God with the people of God everywhere and at all times. Old Testament and New Testament Christians throughout the centuries coming together by faith to worship God in his unshakable presence. And by coming to the city of God, we come to God himself. We come to the judge of all. And this idea of God being judge shouldn't be intimidating to us. Since we come through a mediator, we come through a better mediator than Moses, we come through Jesus. He's the better mediator of a better covenant, and the, the, the judge has passed his judgment, not on us, but he's passed it on Jesus. So we're able to enter into his presence with confidence. And it's based on the record of Jesus that the spirits of the righteous are made perfect and so we also come to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This simply means that Abel's blood in Genesis cried out to God from the ground for judgment. But the blood that Jesus spilt speaks a word of mercy. It speaks a word of grace because he has taken on himself our judgment. And then notice finally that the speaker never uses the name Mount Sinai. I thought this was intriguing. He just describes it. He doesn't name it. What does he name? He names our unshakable place. Mount Zion, the unshakable presence of God. That's where we Go And all this piles up to encourage you that during the uncertainties of life, when you feel most insecure and unstable, you can rest secure because you belong to something unshakable, immovable. God has done something in Jesus to secure for you a place of safety in his own presence. And you know, that leads us to our second point of encouragement because you belong to something unshakable. You will remain safe when God shakes the world. Look at verse 35, or 25 through 27. He says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now, he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. See, this, the preacher speaks a word of warning that God's going to shake the universe. Just like his voice spoke at Sinai and it shook the earth, so will he shake the universe again. He says, the earth and the heavens. And this shaking process has two aspects. 
The first is that of judgment. He says that it indicates the removal of things that are shaken. And there's a present dimension to that shaking where God disciplines us and removes those portions of our lives that are contradictory to his will. You see, this is God's fatherly care. This is his fatherly discipline where he loves you too much to leave you to your own devices. He refuses to keep you where you are. There's also a future dimension called the the final judgment where Jesus returns to earth to purge the universe of everything that is hostile to him. He comes down to make war on everything that that fights him, everything that is hostile to him, and he's going to eradicate and expel everything and everyone who rejects him, who is speaking. But for all those who don't refuse him, for all those who acknowledge him and place our faith in Jesus, you will remain safe when he shakes the world. Along with that aspect of judgment, there's an aspect of deliverance. He says that the shaking will occur in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. So by purging everything that's hostile to him, he cleanses and he delivers those who submit to him, who have accepted and acknowledged him. This happens in the present through the sanctification process where God shakes your life and he takes you out of a life of sin and brokenness and he shows you a better way. He tells you how to live life, how life works best. There will also be a final deliverance in the future when the heavenly city of God comes down to earth and God makes his dwelling among us, among his people, on a renewed and refreshed earth where we dwell with him, where we rule and reign with him. And he will deliver the world from corruption from sin so that all that remains is everything that can't be shaken. Everything that has submitted to him. And y'all, you will remain safe. You will be delivered through the shaking because you belong to something unshakable. But does that mean it's easy? Does that mean that dealing with pain and suffering and uncertainty insecurity? Does that mean that all of that is a walk in the park? No, absolutely not. God doesn't promise to remove you from the shaking. He promises to shake the world, but to be with you. He promises to be the unshakable presence with you through the valley of the shadow of death. He promises to keep you safe and secure but you still have to walk through the valley. Now, you may be pushing back on me and say, John, I don't, I don't feel secure. I don't, I don't feel safe. A lot of my life is turned upside down, and, and I don't understand this security that you speak of. So how do we live in this tension? How do we live in the tension be- between the uncertainty of our lives and the security that's promised us in the 
unshakable, in the unshakable presence of God. Well, the author indicates that we live in the tension by worshiping God with reverence and awe. Take a look at verse 28. He says, therefore, since these things are true, since you don't come to Sinai, since you come to Mount Zion, an unshakable place, since you belong to something unshakable, and because you'll be safe, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Grateful worship is the place where the security of the unshakable kingdom is lived out. In the presence of God, we offer to God acceptable worship, not worship for our own experience, not worship dictated by our cultural moment, but worship that's acceptable, worship that's ordered and guided by God. And when we worship in spirit and in truth, something spectacular happens. N.T. Wright describes it this way, we worship in the spirit. And as we do so, we are taking our place amongst the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. He says, heaven is not a long way away. It's where Jesus and the Spirit are revealing the Father and drawing us into worship, love, and obedience. What happens here in corporate worship when we gather together is a this-worldly taste of the security of the heavenly places. When we gather for worship, this weekly event is heaven breaking into earth and the veil over our eyes that blinds us to the heavenly realm, it's just slightly lifted so that we get a tiny little glimpse into the heavenly security offered to us at Mount Zion. And y'all, this can't be replicated in your living room. This can't be replicated in your small groups or your home fellowship groups, in your personal devotional times or your prayer times. All of those things are wonderful and necessary. But what happens here is unique. Corporate worship is a unique event in the weekly life of the church. We gather together into the heavenly sanctuary by faith through the work of Jesus and the Spirit. And we take our place amongst the company of heaven and in safety and security. We offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and with awe. Worship is where the tension is lived out. I'll close with this. You know, my daughter loves to run down the aisle when she gets here and give me a big hug. Y'all know that. You've seen her do it a lot. Why do you think Maddie Grace loves to run down the aisle and jump into my arms and squeeze my neck? It's the same reason she wants to snuggle in the mornings before we leave. And y'all, I'm going to eat this up as long as I can. 
Yes, of course, it's because she loves her daddy. Of course. That's one reason. But it's also because in the world of my four-year-old, almost five-year-old, I am unshakable. In her world, I am. I'm not really unshakable. But in her world, she finds me unshakable. I am the safest place she can find herself at this point in her life. And when everything around her is uncertain, she knows that she's safe with me. And y'all, that's what worship is. Worship is all about us coming into the safe presence of an unshakable God and offering him thanks and praise for doing so, for being that safe place for us. That's who he is. He's unshakable. So when the pressures of life make you uncertain and you feel the weight of insecurity, remember these two truths. As a Christian... You belong to something unshakable. And because of that, God will keep you safe when he shakes the universe. And let that lead you to the proper response of worship because it's in the presence of God with the people of God and the assembly of heaven that we are most secure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks this morning that you allow us into your presence, that you've given us an unshakable kingdom, that we truly can find our rest, our security in you. God, would you minister to us this morning? Minister to us this week. Remind us of this truth. Bring us back next week ready to enter into your presence again to jump into your arms and offer to you acceptable worship. We ask in Jesus' name.